on page 16 and 17 in the church's Bibles. And we're going to be reading all of Genesis chapter 17 together. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I'll give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You're to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I'll bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. And when he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. This is God's word.
Yes, anyone in Sunday club? So up to sixth class, now is the time to head out, as you see. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can come to your word. Please help us to hear it and to understand it and to be changed by it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, come with me to a man's 50th birthday party, just at his home. Um, guests are all there, family, friends, balloons are on the walls, banners are up. And whether you're five or 50, at your birthday party, there's probably one thing you're really excited about, presents. And so he's taken into the living room and he looks and there on the table in the middle are a bunch of cards. Nothing big, just, just little cards. So he's wondering what's going on. And so he decides to, well, he receives them and he opens them up. And the first one is from his work colleagues. And oh, look, it's a, a voucher for all he could want at a Michelin star restaurant nearby. Okay, he thinks, this is good. Gets a second card, and this one is actually a letter. And he opens it up and he reads it, and it's like a legal document. And it's from his father, his elderly father, who has put it in writing that he is leaving everything to his son. The great house, all his possessions, all he could ever want, he's going to get them all. It's here in writing. And he gets a third one, and this one is a little picture. And it's a picture of a sonogram of a little baby. And he looks over, and his son and daughter-in-law are sitting there smiling. And they're saying, yeah, you're finally going to be a granddad. <coughs> Gets the fourth card, and that's just from all the people there, and it just says, happy birthday, we love you very much. Sometimes the best presents are ones that we have to wait for. All those gifts, they were given on that day. They were his, but he didn't experience them. He didn't really have them straight away. I think Abraham could relate to that man. God has promised him already, before we even get to Genesis 17, a family, a future, a land to live in, a relationship with himself. And so today, as we read about what God sent to Abraham in Genesis 17, this is not brand new information. This is God building on the promises, on the covenant he's already made. It's the same covenant from Genesis 12, if you remember, and Genesis 15. And what we see today as we look at this is a covenant made and a covenant kept. So, a covenant made. Can you remember what a covenant is? Um, two weeks ago, when we were in chapter 15, um, God made this covenant with Abraham, and Ed explained that a covenant is like a contract or an agreement between two people. Often, in those times, it would be maybe between a king and his subject. And in those days, instead of signing their name at the bottom to agree it, they confirmed it with action, with drama, with things they could see. And so in that case, God told Abraham to cut these birds in half, set them on either side, and then as Abraham watched, God walked through the birds. And that was him saying, this is the covenant. And that picture was God saying, I will die 
before this covenant is broken. And so this is a covenant that has been made already, and we're learning more about it in 17. And in everything that God has said about this covenant, this promise so far, he has been crystal clear that it is his covenant. And here that is not changing. So verse 2, I will make my covenant. Verse 4, this is my covenant. Even a bit later on in verse 9, and we'll come to this, when God explains what Abraham's role is in all of this, he still says, you must keep my covenant. God says, it's not our covenant, it's my covenant. He's the one who's made it. And in verse 1 of chapter 17, when God gives his name, I am God Almighty, that's his signature. That's him signing at the bottom. This is my covenant. And can you see the little phrase that repeats six times in the first, first eight verses? 17, 1 to 8. I will. I will. I will. I will. I will. I will. God is saying to Abraham, trust me to do this. A few days ago, I was arranging to meet someone to give him something, and he told me it had to be by seven o'clock, otherwise he wouldn't be available. And I had a couple of things on that day, but I remember thinking, yeah, that shouldn't be a problem. I'll be able to make that. And I literally remember typing out my message, I will definitely be there by seven. And just before I hit send, I thought, definitely? Just based on what I know about myself and how things go, I thought, you know what, I'm not, I'm not quite definite. So I just went for, I'll be there by seven. I got there for ten past seven. <laughs> I'm so unreliable. Maybe you're unreliable. But God is totally reliable. If he says, I will, then he will. And here he says, definitely. He is a covenant-making, promise-keeping, unflinching, I will God. So this is a covenant made by God. And it's such a generous covenant. Now, Abraham already knew he was getting a good deal from when God first called him. He knew he was getting a family, children. He knew he would get an inheritance. He knew he would get a relationship with God. But here, things are just getting better and better. If you have a look from verses 5 through to 9, all those I will statements, all the things God will, will do. He's just throwing gift card after gift card at Abraham. You will get this. You will get this. And then, you know, verse 4, you will be the father of many nations. What a surprising gift that is. Abraham is... 99 and he has been told he's going to be a father but he must be wondering when is it really going to happen he's 99 he's getting old one writer describes him as a dried up tree with no sap <laughs> and sarah who's slightly younger but not much as a wilted flower and here they're being told you will have many children last week in chapter 16 we saw Abraham struggling to believe this promise. And he agreed with Sarah, his wife, to sleep with his mistress, Hagar, so they could have a child, so that that might be the child that could be his descendant. 
And so that was an act of real mistrust in God and real disobedience for him to do that. And I'm not sure God has spoken to Abraham directly since then. It's been 13 years. But here God appears to him again and says, yes, you mistrusted me. Yes, you obeyed me. But I am absolutely still going to give you what I promised. Your disobedience, your lack of trust, isn't going to stop my covenant. The promise, the covenant, is still valid. In fact, it's even better than Abraham imagined. He knew he was going to have children, but here he just gets more and more. You'll be a father of many nations. That's why his name was changed from Abraham to Abraham. There'll be kings there. God's promise in Abraham family. If you're a parent or a grandparent, I am sure that your kids, grandkids, really excite you. Thinking about their future, all the hopes that you have for them. But I think for Abraham, it meant even more. Because him having children wasn't just about his name and his future. He knew that his children were the way, his family were the way, that God was going to become the God of his people. That's how God was going to bless the whole world. We're told here as well that he's going to get a land to live in, in verse 8, the land of Canaan, where currently there were enemies who were threatening, and Abraham never could have claimed that for himself. He was going to get somewhere to call home with his family, where they would be safe, where they would belong. And better than any of those gift cards that were given is that card that just says, I am your God. Verse 8. I will be their God. That's better than any amount of possessions or land that he could get or any property. You see, God is saying this covenant, all these promises, this isn't just about you getting nice things. This is about me being your God forever. And so Abraham can take that card and put it on the mantelpiece and look at that and say, yes, my God has made a promise to me. He has made a covenant, a generous covenant. And so we're seeing, right, this covenant is made by God and he is going to be the one who keeps it. But what is Abraham's role in all of this? It's a covenant to be kept. You see, Abraham already believed and knew that all of these promises depended on God. Back in chapter 15, verse 6, we're told... Abraham believed the Lord, that was when God had given him the promises, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So I do think if you found Abraham and asked him at any stage here, how is this all going to come true? I think he would have said, God will make it come true. I trust God to make it true. That was his faith. This covenant is God's covenant. It's all up to him. Faith is like him taking that gift card and putting it in his wallet, knowing it's valid. It works. But it's one thing to know that, and even to believe it deep down, but it's another thing to really live it out, isn't it? And to live as though it's true all the time. And so, as we said, Abraham and Sarah have struggled to live it out. Even though that real faith is there, they've struggled and taken things into their own hands with what they did with Hagar. 
and Ishmael. They're wrestling with this question, what do we do in all of this? In this relationship with God, what do we do? And that's an understandable question, isn't it? Especially if in these times, covenants were often between two people and one did one thing and another did another. Abraham might have been used to that. We saw his mistrust and disobedience when he said, I'm going to do my bit to make sure this happened. And he did what he did with Sarah and had a child. And now he, he, he should know, because God is saying, that's not the child that's going to give you all your family. There's another one coming. But he's still clinging on to his idea, isn't he? To his way. In verses 17 and 18. If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Abraham does have faith, but there's still that part in him saying, I, my way might work. Maybe I just need to do a little bit more. Maybe what I have done will work in the end. Can you relate to Abraham and Sarah in all of this? Maybe you've heard God's promises. Maybe you even believe them deep down and have real faith. And you want to trust in him. And you want to wait for his timing and be patient. But you find yourself wondering, how can I make sure? Is there something I can do to make sure of all of this? Or is there something I can do to make, make sure it comes true sooner? Is it that maybe God does most of it? God does 90% of this covenant, but then I add to just complete the job with my 10%. Or maybe if you're not a Christian and you see what Christians are supposed to do, you look and you think, I, I could never do that. I could never keep my end of the deal with God, even if it is only 10%, even if it's only 1%. Christians have been wrestling with this question, what do we do for years? William Craig was a young man who wanted to become a minister in the Church of Scotland in 1717. Um, he had to be approved by the local church leaders to get his license to be the minister. And so there was a process to go through and he was nearly at the end. He had already preached, he had written an essay, he was now being interviewed, he's nearly there. And in order to finish it, he had to agree with some statements that they gave him. And one of the statements was this, I believe we must leave sin in order to come to Christ and be in covenant with God. He was being asked to agree to that. I must leave sin in order to come to Christ and be in covenant with God. And it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because that seems right. He said, no. And what happened was, they said, you can't become a minister here. And he appealed and explained why he disagreed. And then it started a massive controversy that was discussed for years and years and years. Can you see the statement behind the statement? It's saying we must do something first before we can be in covenant with God. So when he said no, I think he was right. That we are in covenant with God 100% because of what God has done. I think that's what God has sent to Abraham. We don't enter this covenant with God by our own effort. Paul explains in Galatians that we are all a little bit like 
Abraham as we wrestle with this question. We all have this deep desire to do our bit. To make God's promises come true for ourselves. Or to make sure we've done enough before we can be in covenant with him. But we don't have to. We don't have to do anything because God has found another way. He has found a way that involves none of our works or effort. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Because God's way is to be in covenant by faith, by believing that God makes the covenant and he keeps it. But let's be real, God is saying to Abraham, you must keep my covenant. So we know that the foundation of everything that Abraham does to keep the covenant is his faith. And here God is explaining, if you have faith, this is what it will look like when you are in covenant with me. And so in verse 1, when he says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and blameless. I don't think this is a, you better do this or else. Because has Abraham been doing this? Has he been blameless and walking faithfully? No, I think the picture here of Abraham walking before God is it's a nice one. It's like a, a child taking their first steps before the father, going in the right way. And then when it gets to God explaining what Abraham does to keep his part of the covenant, we know that it's based on Abraham's faith. But he does have a real role to play in this covenant. There's a thing um, called the conservation principle, which is used for like famous art and buildings. Um, so what happens is when a piece of art or a building is made, sometimes the government can put a signature on it saying people are allowed to work on it and maintain it, but nothing is to be added or removed. It is only to be preserved as it was initially made. So let me explain. Imagine there's a big manor house in the country. And um, what happened was a, a rich man designed the house and built it and moved into it. He then, when he's getting his old, older, says to his children, you need to keep this house as I made it. And so he dies and they take over and they keep the house, they maintain it, they look after it, but they follow this principle. Nothing is to be added or removed, it's only preserved as it was initially made. And so if you go to his great-grandchildren and you ask them, who built this house? What are they going to say? Our great-grandfather. It was him. It was 100% him. We keep it. We maintain it. But we don't, we don't add anything. We don't take anything away. He gets all the credit. This is his house. We just live here. Now, it's not a perfect picture, but it's just showing the difference in someone making something and others keeping it. And so as God is saying to Abraham, you must keep my covenant, he is still saying that it's his covenant. And he explains how Abraham's going to keep it through this sign, this sign of circumcision, which he starts to explain in verse 10. Now, as we said earlier, instead of signatures, they used imagery and signs to show covenants in those days. 
And we mentioned the one where Abraham walked between the birds as a sign of his covenant. And now God is saying, here's a new sign to show your faith in the covenant. So when God is explaining circumcision, this is representing Abraham's faith in the covenant. Now, after wrestling with the text and doing a bit of counting, I decided that if, if the Bible mentions circumcision six times in five verses, I'm going to have to actually explain what it is. <laughs> so circumcision, for those who don't know, was to snip the end off a male's private part as a religious symbol or part of a tradition. Sorry if you didn't know that. Now, it was, it was practiced in ancient Egypt and other ancient cultures, so it's possible that whenever Abraham heard this, it wasn't like a brand new thing. It's possible he heard that and thought, okay, yeah, that's a thing. Now, there's different ideas on why God chose this as the sign of Abraham's faith. It might be pointing back to that image of the birds being cut in two. It might be something to do with God's promises becoming true through Abraham's fertility, him having children. What we know for sure is that it is an image of Abraham being set apart for God as holy. So in Romans chapter 4, verse 4, Paul explains, Abraham received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So we're saying that this circumcision is a sign of Abraham being set apart because of his faith, now being made righteous. This is just a sign of that. It's just a symbol. And Abraham, believe it or not, obeyed this command on that very day. So faith is still the foundation, but real faith results in action, doesn't it? It results in listening to what God says, walking before him, doing things his way. And so the physical sign of circumcision here and elsewhere in the Old Testament enabled Abraham and his children to begin to receive the promises that God had made to them. Because of it, they were able to have children, kings came from them, they did end up getting the land of Canaan and moving in there and having a home there. And in all of this, we're seeing how the covenant is kept. But as the Bible story unfolds, we realize that those promises while they did come true, they were just pictures of the real promise that God was making. The real promise at the heart of God's covenant with his people. And that is a promise of a permanent family, a permanent home, and of course, most of all, for God to be their God forever. And the sign of circumcision was never able to secure that promise. Instead, God says a different kind of circumcision is needed to make that promise come true. A kind of circumcision for everyone who has faith in his promises. So a little bit later in the Bible story in Deuteronomy 30 verse 6, God says to Moses and his people, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and all your soul and live. 
You see, in the end, God is saying that the one thing that we were to do in the covenant, circumcision, ultimately even that is something he is going to do himself. Again, the New Testament helps us out. In Colossians 2, verse 11, we read, this is about those who have faith in Jesus. In Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. God is saying those who have faith in Christ have been circumcised in their hearts, set apart for him, able to receive his promises. And so in Jesus, God is saying to us exactly the same thing that he said to Abraham. This is my covenant and I will die if that's what it takes for it to come true. And that is why Jesus took on human flesh so he could be the one who died. So he could be the one who was cut off because we had broken the covenant and deserved to be cut off. Instead, he was so we wouldn't have to be. And if you are someone who has faith in Jesus, then he has represented you in all of that. Meaning that God's promises to Abraham are promises to us. Because God's covenant is a covenant made and a covenant kept. And so we may have to wait for all of God's promises to come true. But we have received our gift cards from a reliable I will do it, generous God. And even when we do have faith, but that faith and that trust feels weak, we feel impatient or we look somewhere else for God's promises to come true, God can bless us through those moments. You see, even after what Isaac and Sarah did with Hagar and Ishmael, God says, I'm still going to bless Ishmael. Yeah, you made a mistake, but I'm going to use that and bless that too. God can use our, our failures and our weaknesses. They will not stop him from giving us what he has promised. And so if we have faith, then we too can have a family. Because all those who have faith are Abraham's children. Our church family is God's family. It's God's promise coming true here and now. And yes, it's a work in progress. But it is already here for us. And by faith we can take hold of that promise now. Instead of looking for it somewhere else. If we have faith then we receive the promise of a land of our own. A home to call our own. Somewhere we will live safely. Where we won't feel like foreigners and aliens. Weirdos. Somewhere where there will be no one there who is against God. And no one there who is in any way a threat to us. His people and of course better than any of these things any of those gifts is God giving us himself I am your God if you have faith in me and in my promises because his covenant is a covenant made and a covenant kept at Somersault a couple of weeks ago in one of our Bible studies we were talking about heaven that came up in we were talking about how it would be great and how it would be 
like the world here in some ways, but better in every way. And there's lots of questions about what it would really look like, but it was really exciting to think about it. And then at the end, as we were kind of thinking about what heaven, the place, would be like, someone said, but the whole point is not heaven, but the fact that Jesus will be there and will be in relationship with him. And so if you are someone who has faith in God's promises, then God has made a covenant with you. And faith is all it takes, like the faith of Abraham, to be in this covenant. Amen. I'm going to finish with our final song.